Hello, let's go, guys. That was a bit of a uh, bit of a rough start, but how are you both doing? You okay? Yeah. Good. How are you doing, Jay? Good to talk to you again. Hi, Tony. Yeah, good to talk to both of you. Both of you. So let's um, jump straight into this. Obviously, Mick, you're um, sort of a supporter of the the NIST theory and um, everything that goes goes along with it to an extent. Obviously, you've got some. Um, Slides you'd also like to show, so we're going to screen share and hopefully that will all sort of come up as well. Right. Um, so, yeah, let's just fire away. Uh, and then obviously, Tony, yeah. you can respond with however you want to respond on issues that you have with the NIST theory and bring up your own stuff as well. And I'll be the third wheel and listen in and try and make sure you both get an equal share and talking. Okay. Yeah. Uh, right. Well, I am just going to share this screen. Hopefully, it comes through. So, yeah, you describe me as being a supporter of the NIST theory, which uh, I think is roughly correct. I more or less agree that the NIST gives the best uh, explanations for what happened on 9-11 to the two buildings uh, collapses, uh, fires and the collapses. Uh, so what I want to talk about now is the NIST uh, report on Building 7. Uh, building 7, you know, is one of the more uh, contentious points in 9-11 Truth. Uh, because like people think that you know they don't realize that three buildings fell on uh, 9/11, and so uh, Building Seven looks especially suspicious to some people because it looks very similar to some controlled demolitions. Uh, and uh, you know that's that's a valid point. But I think uh, looking at the NIST report, which I'll just do very very quickly now, uh, I think it gives a reasonable explanation, even if it isn't doesn't match exactly with the details. Now, I think you've got to realize that the NIST investigation, uh, they, it was a, a multi-stage thing. The first thing they did was they looked at the fires. They observed the fires. Uh, and my first slide here is showing the, uh, the, the path of the fire, four different things that they did, four different types of computer analysis that they did. The first thing is the fire dynamics analysis. Then they took the results of that and they fed that into what they call the fire structure interface analysis, which is uh, we refer to as the ANSYS model. And that's a, a smaller model of just 16 floors uh, that they took the fire information, they applied it to those 16 floors, and then they saw what happened to those 16 floors. Uh, then they did the uh, structural response to the fire. The first one was just how the, the fire spread through those 16 floors. They figured out what actually happened within uh, those uh, those um, 16 floors to the fire, like which beams were heated, did they expand, did things fail, did connections fail, things like that. Then they took the results of that and then they applied it to what they call a global model, which is a full height model of, the, uh, of World Trade Center 7. And then they saw what happened to the global model. Now, it's very important to realize there are big differences between all these models. The, uh, the local model uh, is a lot more detailed than the global model, because uh, as Tony knows, it's very difficult to get a very high resolution model of a of a large complicated building. <coughs> so they do higher resolution versions of local things, and they do lower resolution versions of the global things. So they run faster. So they took the damage information from the the ANSYS model and they fed it into the the, the other model, the LS Dyna model, which is the global model. Uh, now, just uh, I'm going to skip this. Slide, it's not that important. This is just showing like the type of thing they did. They they uh, looked at the uh, the what windows were broken, where smoke was coming from, where they could see fire. They looked at it over time. They came up with a model of where there was fire in all the buildings. They applied it 
to all the different floors over time. They tried to figure out what the temperature would be. Now, this is using a fire model, uh, which isn't going to exactly match what happened, <coughs> but it's, you know, it's a reasonable approximation of what happened. Then they did these high-resolution models where they, <coughs> they modeled individual connections and smaller subsystems to see what would happen. Uh, this is like a, a column 79, which we'll probably talk about in a moment. Uh, they figured out which beams suffered damage from these fires. Uh, did, did some beams uh, fail completely? Did some connections fail? Uh, then they applied it to the global model, which is this 47-story uh, high uh, model, and they saw what happened to that. Then they modeled that. They saw that a section of it collapsed. They saw it collapse because the floors fell around column 79, uh, and then that led to buckling of the exterior and global collapse at uh, almost free-fall speed for one section of it. So uh, that's what I really wanted to do there was give an overview of the various uh, stages of the NIST investigation. It's not just one simple thing where they just threw a few things into a model, saw what happened, and then said that's what happened. There was all kinds of different uh, simulations of different sections and, and at different re resolutions. Uh, and so you really have to consider that when you discuss any problem that you might have with the NIST report. And uh, uh, that's my initial opening. Cool. So uh, if you want to stop screen sharing, we'll head over to hopefully Tony, who's going to now sort of present a, a comeback to that, I guess. Right. So we just, uh, I have to do a screen sharing right now myself. With the um, audios on your video, Tony, when you get to it, obviously let me know what video you're showing so I can play the audio through because otherwise no one's going to be able to hear your audio. Right, so right. So just tell me what time frame and that and I'll, I'll get the audio going through. Right. I'm going to just bring this up. Okay. And what I'm showing here is the uh, what I'm going to be showing is the progress report, but I gotta minimize it. To go up to share screens. Okay. Hopefully your screen will come through in a second. Right. Well, it's not doing it right off the bat. Always a problem with these uh, these internet things. So you've on Skype, you've gone to call and then down to share screens. Right, it's call. Yeah, and then share screens. Share screens, right? Yeah. And then share your screen. Yeah. Share a window. Okay, just share. I can share the whole window actually. Yeah. I'll just do the share screen or share window. Uh, share window would be fine if you know what window okay. your program or your application's in. Okay. I like our all mix right. on the water. Said, all right. Are you seeing it? Yeah, yeah. Got it up. It's cool. Okay. All right. So this is the uh, University of Alaska Fairbanks progress report from September. And uh, there are, are a number of things that I don't agree with, with the, uh, like, uh, with the NIST report. <clears throat> 
As Mick said, they did a submodel, what I tend to call a submodel, 16-story ANSYS model to do their fire simulation and the fire interface and then uh, um, the structural response. And they fed those failures into the larger full, full building, 47-story building, LS Dyna model. So the failures, uh, and they are better resolution, what Mick said is true there. Um, here we can show for your audience, Dr. Leroy Halsey was just showing people where Building 7 was in relation to the towers. It was 350 feet away from the closest tower. And I don't have to go through all this. I'm going to get to, this is column 79 that's circled here. And there's uh, column 44. And the, the girder between them, girder 8 2001, is what NIST discerned initiated the failure <clears throat> by being pushed off its seat at the 13th floor by the five beams to the right of it in the, in the view that you have here. Um, let me see if you can show that. You'll see these. Can you see my cursor? Yes. Okay. So these, there's five beams here that are framing into this girder that goes between those two columns. And this said these beams were heated to like 600 degrees centigrade. They expanded. They were about 52 foot long, approximately all of them. And they pushed this girder off its seat. They expanded somewhere around five and a half inches. <clears throat> and, uh, that would be legitimate at 600 degrees centigrade. And they said the seat, the girder sat on a seat at column 79. And this also shows those five beams. There's the girder. I want to show where, um, if he has it here right off the bat. That's the column. That's column 79. That's just a portion of it. One section. You can see here in this diagram, the girder sitting, you're looking down from above. And you see that girder sitting on its seat at column 79. The girder is 11 and a half inches wide. The seat, this initially said, was 11 inches wide. And it's interesting that they said, because the beams could only expand five and a half inches. It turned out when the drawings were released three and a half years after the final report, the seat was 12 inches wide. So they would be short, and they need to get that center web. The web, the girder is just a beam, an I-beam. And the web is carrying the load. If that web went past the edge of the seat, the web would no longer be supported, and you'd lose the load path. You'd be the it, all the load would be on the flange, and the flange generally a flange is much thinner. It's not as deep. Most people can imagine the web is much stiffer in bending in the direction of the vertical direction than the flat flange, and <clears throat> so they. It turned out, and they admitted, oh, the seat was 12 inches wide. Now, they said, we transposed the axial walk-off distance with the lateral. It's actually six and a quarter inches. would actually be more than that because it would take 6.29 inches. And I don't mean to split hairs, but there's also an inch and three sixteenths radius between the web and the flange. So, you're not, as soon as the, they can't get the web beyond the edge of the seat. They can't. And even even if they could, there are stiffeners there that I'd like to show you if I can, if he has them here. Okay, these stiffeners were on that girder, but this did not show them. This did not include them. They left them off, and they would stiffen that flange up significantly. In fact, when you do the calculation, these are 18 inches high 
They go all the way out to the edge of the flange from the web, and they're three-quarters thick. They stiffen the flange up. Instead of if this web went past the edge of the seat, the flange is only, it's. I think it's uh, it's somewhere around 850 or three, seven-eighths of an inch thick. It would fold up, and the, the girder would fall. But with these stiffeners and all that depth, it's about 70 or 80 times stronger in bending. It's not going to bend or break. So the web could be past the seat by quite a bit, several more inches. And this admitted to leaving them off. So, in essence, they cheated. Okay? They cheated. There's another problem. Here's the NIST. and This is right from the NIST report. This is, I think, uh, it's either figure 820 or 821. You don't see those stiffeners there. This is, was done by an engineer, by a structural engineer by the name of Ron Brooklyn. He put the stiffeners in and the right aspect ratio of the W33 by 130 girder, which means it's 130 pounds per foot. It's 33 inches deep, and then these are 18 inches tall. That makes that flange very stiff. They left them off because what they were saying would happen wouldn't happen with those stiffeners there, even if the web went past the seat, edge of the seat. Okay, so you see in their report, they left them off, and they admitted that also in October 2013. You can see in their finite element model, no stiffeners on the girder. Here's the girder. Okay, no stiffeners there. And this is a shot the the University of Alaska added, uh, they increased the thermal coefficient of expansion of the beams to push that web past the seat with the stiffeners on there. And you can see, you're looking at it from the column side. The column's removed, and it doesn't fail. So it could, the web could go, here's the web here, it could go past the seat with those stiffeners it wouldn't fail. So this, then this theory <clears throat> doesn't work. And in addition to that, and I was involved in this, you can't, even if the girder did come off the seat, you can't break the, they don't have enough energy to break through the next floor down. And the way that could be discerned is by doing a finite element analysis to determine this, the natural frequency of the beams and the girder, the five beams and the girder. This girder is just sitting on its seat over here. The bolts are broken. So it's free here. And you want to know the natural frequency because then you can find the stiffness. And because that's part of the natural frequency equation, which is 1 over 2 pi times the square root of stiffness over mass. So if you rearrange that, you find the stiffness at 6,000. It's a little over 6,600 6, pounds per inch. Once you know the stiffness with the with you with a uh, you can find the um, I can get this going all right and this the springs are in series that's going to hit the next girder down which has a very high stiffness 10 inches away from the seat which is about 7.6 million pounds per inch but when you add two springs together you do the reciprocal rule like you do for parallel circuits resistance in parallel and the total stiffness is about six, just under 6,700 6, pounds per inch. Now, <clears throat> energy, knowing stiffness, is equal to one-half kx squared, or one-half times the stiffness times the deflection squared. We can find the deflection. The deflection turns out to be a little over 32 inches. Knowing the deflection, you can find the force, and that's the stiffness times the deflection, and that's about 215,000 pounds. 
it would take, I'm just going back here for a minute. This support plate is two inches thick by 14 inches deep by about 18 or 19 inches wide. It's sitting under the seat that the girder is sitting on. It's welded to the column with fairly significant welds. <clears throat> the sheer, sheer strength of those welds is 632,000 pounds. So you can't even break through the next floor down, is what this is saying. They don't have enough energy to break through the next floor down. So the NIST collapse initiation hypothesis, unfortunately, is impossible. It doesn't work. Okay? And while, while Mick and others might want to think they were reasonable, they were not reasonable here. They're not telling the truth. They were confronted about these issues by a number of us engineers with a lawyer representing us, Dr. William Pepper, who represented the Martin Luther King family in a lawsuit in Memphis in the 90s. This is a well-known lawyer, and he wrote to the Department of Commerce Inspector General, and who wound up letting NIST answer it. Their answer was nothing more than an email saying, we have looked into your assertions, we don't agree, we stand behind our work. I'm sorry, but that's not a professional way to engage or to answer criticism. And there's serious, this is serious, legitimate criticism of their report. And just to lend it credibility, there was two other reports done for a, a lawsuit by the Con Edison Electric Company in New York, who had the substation at the bottom of Building 7, the first two stories on the north side of Building 7, and Aegis Insurance Company, their insurance company. They filed a suit against Silverstein Properties, World Trade Center 7 Properties, and the engineer of record, Canner Engineering. This was about 10, eight, nine years ago. And in that suit, one side, Aegis had ARUP do their analysis, and Canner Engineering WTC7 Properties had Weidlinger do their do an analysis for them. And they were trying to say that it was negligent design that allowed it to collapse. And Weidlinger, who did the analysis for or the Nordenson and, and ARUP, the report done for Aegis, tried to show it would break through the next floor down, just like NIST. I determined Nordenson was wrong in the ARUP analysis. And then several months later, we hadn't seen the Weidling report. It was made available publicly. They said the same thing I said, that he, they can't break through the next floor down. Now, Weidlinger goes on to say that they moved where the failure initiation was from the 13th floor to the northeast corner to the between the ninth and 10th floors between the north and the south walls on the east side. But their problem is they need the steel to reach 750 to 800 degrees centigrade to get when the one floor breaks and goes to drops and goes to the next one that it's weak enough to break through. But they don't release their thermal analysis. So there's no credibility there yet. So All we right. really well, don't have... I just want to finish up with one point. Okay. Presently, we have no legitimate analysis showing how this building could have come down. Okay, you can go, Mick. Okay, thanks, Tony. That's a pretty good overview, I think, of the uh, uh, the position of the 9-11 truth, uh, A-9-11 right now. Uh, and I think, like, the last thing you brought up there, the two other studies, is a, a very good point because it shows just how difficult it is to actually get uh, a definitive answer in a complicated situation like this. 
Uh, building 7, as you know, we only really had observations of what was going on from the outside. We didn't really, uh, we couldn't really see what was happening on the inside, whether which floors were falling, when they fell, what was actually happening. So you had to kind of uh, do a lot of assumptions about what was actually going on inside, kind of extrapolating from what we see on the outside. Uh, and I think, you know, the fact that there's three different results coming from three different studies is, uh, you know, it's a very interesting point. And that actually, I think, applies within the NIST study itself. Uh, if you look at the, uh, let me just pr bring my screen up again real quick here. Uh, if you look at the the actual uh, diagrams that they use in the NIST study, can you see my screen now? Yeah. Sure. All right, that's just an animation about what you were talking about earlier with the mm -hmm. uh, the beam sliding off, and that's what it would have to do to to slide off. But what I wanted Something to show you actually, there. you're missing you're missing the fact that the girder is going to grow, Mitch. The girder. Uh, would be well, that's to... that's another point. But let's let's okay. get to that in a minute. Okay. Uh, what I wanted to show you was the uh, the the NIST study. The ANSYS uh, simulation came up with a a set of damage that the fires did to the building. And you can see here, these little black dots are what they refer to as being full connection damage. Uh, and these beams here, the red beams, are the beams that suffer significant damage themselves. So this is column 79 over here. And uh, let's see, I think we might be on the, oh, this is the right floor. But the, the damage- They're all the same, doesn't matter, yeah. Up, yeah, above the there, there's floor, damage okay. that is shown throughout the building. And when they took this pattern of damage, they took the, the data from this, this simulation here, uh, the, uh, the ANSYS simulation, and then they applied it to this full height model, uh, it caused a collapse. But it didn't actually use that particular uh, connection that you just talked about in this oh, sure, simulation. Sure it did. Sure it did. It had to. It no, had it to, Mick. But it didn't. Well, what though. did they? Well, tell me what they used then, Mick. They, they, they used, say yeah. they say in chapter twelve they used what they got from the answers. Oh, they did. The they hospital. did. They used that damage pattern, but that damage pattern didn't have uh, that particular column failure, that particular uh, column connection failure, A two thousand and one uh, to column seventy nine. That wasn't the first thing that actually failed. There was actually a number of simultaneous uh, collapses. Which you can see here, there's uh, collapses over here, and then there's collapses over here. Uh, this is uh, the, the ANSYS-based damage application is resulting in floor structure failures around column 79 to 81, which, as you know, is all the interior east side of the building. Well, what, so they, where they, actually... they, they haven't told us that in the report. Oh, you well, can't just show a picture like this. It's there in, uh, in the actual, okay. uh, when we want, good we want an like analysis. That. If this you is look not at this, an analysis. If you look at this particular uh, image here, which people are familiar with, uh, the girder in question, A2001, I believe, is somewhere over here. He didn't actually fall down through I the think, other floors. You need to because... justify, when you, when you give a presentation like this and you're making a claim, you have to justify it. You can't just say, this is what we found. They have well, not justified uh, you, you were saying that you found that... Uh, some particular thing didn't happen earlier. So I think, you know, if I did the same, this isn't really, this isn't something that's actually up for debate, really. We know that the ANSYS damage contained no, other connections. No, they haven't released their data, their input. 
look at look at this this slide here. There's two areas in which collapse is happening simultaneously. Now, this collapse over here towards the center of the building is completely separate from this collapse over here. If they left off the stiffeners, which would have prevented the failure I showed earlier. No, I, I agree with that. To say yeah. they might not have left something off here. You can't yeah, trust them. They may well have done, but my point here is that you're focusing just on this one connection. And your analysis of that one connection is pretty good because it's quite comprehensive. And you did identify a number of things like the stiffener plates that were missing and uh, the differences in the width of the, of the plate and other things, you know, you know the... Uh, uh, the amount of thermal expansion, things like that, that's all valid. And that's something that, you know, in that limited uh, case does actually make a difference. But what we've got to look at is the actual global case. No, and they, when this did it, they didn't specifics. use just that one collapse of but that they, one good. I, I hear what you're saying. I saw, you, other collapses of other I saw you say this on the Internet, okay, recently. Wait, you have to be specific. You can't tell people we found some other areas where it collapsed. Well, how did that happen? You have to show. They're not showing that. Well, they they, 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 that's what came out of their simulation. Well, but I want to see the results. The simulation's going to show the stresses. I think, they didn't um, show us that. Just to weigh in, obviously, like, to an extent, obviously, Mick can only show what's been released. And obviously, I know from your standpoint, you're like, well, why aren't I releasing it? You can't theorize or give an opinion around something when the complete information hasn't been given and why aren't they given it? But obviously, from Mick's standpoint, he can only present to you what has been released. Well, so I'm, I, questioning, I, I, I'm questioning why Mick supports it if he doesn't have a basis yeah. or justification for supporting it. Right, well, what I'm trying to explain to people is that your criticism of the NIST report hinges around this one connection, the connection of uh, Gerda A2001 to column 79, and the fact that you think it couldn't get off the seat, and if it did, then it wouldn't damage the floors below. However, that's not what NIST are claiming in their global model. They claim that, they, they describe that as a possible initiation event, or a probable initiation event, uh, because they did some simulations of just that one thing, because it seemed like a likely thing. It's uh, the main you've hypothesis. identified some problems with their simulation, yeah. and you know, that's perfectly valid, that we should look about whether that is, actually possible that that seat that that Gerda did actually go off its seat or not and it's possible that it did not that is something that should be looked into however that doesn't invalidate the entire study because the actual simulations that they use did not use that uh, yeah. as a necessary component when, when, when an engineer when an engineer look there's auto companies right now that are being fined very heavily for cheating on their emissions okay Volkswagen was one, and somebody else just recently, I can't remember who, a big truck company. <laughs> if people cheat, they have to redo things. This, I hate, I, I don't necessarily like, I wish I had a better word to use, but the only word to really describe it is cheating. Well, you're kind of uh, implying a conspiracy there no, uh, conspiracy might be a better theory. explanation. Can, you shouldn't even use the word conspiracy theorist. It's not correct. Okay, well, there are they, conspiracies in the world. It's actually correct in this case. If they cheated, no. they must have conspired, unless you think it was just one person who did it. No, no, I'm saying, Mick, we caught them cheating. If you're caught okay, cheating so you in caught, college, you, 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 get, you, you think get you failed. caught a conspiracy. Okay? Well, but we did catch them cheating. What you well, caught them, though, was them using figures that were incorrect. Mick, if you want to say that was all an accident, fine, I'll go along with it. But when we confronted them with it, I would go along with it until we confronted them with it. And when we confronted them through a lawyer, 
through the Department of Commerce Inspector General, and they gave us a curt answer like, we don't agree with your assertions, we stand behind your work, end of discussion, then I have to say there's something seriously wrong, that they will not support their work, they don't support their work. With, um, in in obviously, plan sort of on Tony's side here is obviously... If they're presenting events or uh, something that's happened, they need to take into consideration all factors. They can't leave out little bits of information or little parts just so their experiment well, then works. I think you, you've got to take story. into account that this this study was done nearly ten years ago, uh, and there were limitations to things like computer power that we had back then that uh, are less of an issue now, but still still an issue. And if we were to do the study again now it probably would come up with a, a somewhat different result, like the slide I'm looking at now. I'm not sure if it's still on screen. They won't do it, Nick. They're refusing. That, that would They're look completely different because uh, when you do simulations of things like this, uh, the cascading effect of chaotic events means that the end result ends up very different. If you look at uh, and what... You can't get a cascade, Nick, unless you get an individual failure somewhere. That isn't hard to analyze. That's true. That's true. Have to but, show uh, the the individual failures would probably end up being a bit different because there's a large amount of damage. There's a large amount of damage that was discovered uh, well, by the ANSYS know, model. Now, this is just sure one flaw. Nick, this is just I one flaw here. I'm not willing to accept that as readily as you are because that's just tell, that's not an analysis you show in there. What that is is just saying what the damage is based on what somebody said, I can tell you. I well, doubt. it's based on that simulation. It's based on that ANSYS simulation. Now, Nick. what you're saying, basically, if you don't trust their 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 description of what came out of the ANSYS simulation, well, I want I want to verify it, and they won't allow us to do that. And I don't trust them because I found them leaving things out that would have made a big difference. So no, I have no basis to trust them. Well, I would well, like to verify it else? too, but uh, it's unfortunate well, no, that we can't. Well, but that's, that's what we've got to go with right now. Well, no, we don't have to go with people that are they're doing bad work, not showing their work, leaving things well, out, not uh, telling us to just accept I think, it on faith. I think though, that kind of that. goes both ways, though. Like if you look at Leroy Hulse's study, the professor at the University of Alaska, he has given this uh, slideshow which you showed earlier, and he's not released any of his work that goes behind that. And you oh, explained Mick, earlier you that you thought that he you wasn't repeat, doing it because no one would understand you it. You can repeat what, Mick, what Leroy Halsey, he will release, and he did show in the presentation, and he will release his model. NIST hasn't done that. And I can tell you right now, anybody that does an analysis with what Leroy Halsey showed will come up with the same results. That's Every, great. No, I'm looking forward to seeing that. But right now, okay. we don't actually have that. And you've no, given these yeah. slides as being evidence oh, no, when there's no it, actual and data behind them. Because you can do hand calculations and repeat it. Yeah, but if you're doing hand there's calculations, you're looking at a very, very narrow Nick, aspect of what's happening. There's nothing hard to understand. That girder's going to expand. It's going to be inside the envelope. But I meant to mention, everybody, that those side plates on the column trap the girder. And the reason it traps the girder is the girder's going to heat up, too. As soon as it heats up, just 40 degrees centigrade, it's going to be within the envelope of the side plates, which stick out 1.8 inches from the flange of the column, and that girder is going to go against that flange, that side plate. NIST shows the side plates in their model. They they even say it's it's there against it, and then they act like yeah. the girder just they, they show it in another view somewhere in that report. David Cole had sent it to me. They show it against the side plate, but they can—they actually—they just ignore that. 
That's a uh, side. Well, I haven't seen that myself, so you well, have to show that to me. I'll send that to you, Mick. Regardless, okay. there's no question, logically, and you can do hand calculations to show that dirt. Right, but you're doing hand calculations on that one thing. You're doing well, it on Mick, this one Mick, column. Mick, here. you haven't provided anything else, any other failure with an analysis to show what this says could happen. What they well, are trying to say is they're this doesn't show any analysis at all if you're going to be like no, that. No, they do show this, and they're missing the stiffeners, okay. and they're ignoring the side plates, and they, they said they made a mistake with the width of the seat. That's very suspicious because you could only get five and a half inches of expansion with the with the beams at 600 degrees centigrade, and they say the seat was 11 inches wide when it was actually 12. It's pretty hard to misread the drawing. So you're being very trusting with this, and I don't have... A basis for that, Mick, because I've seen, at least in the case of this report, that there's been some underhanded things done. So they need to come clean, and they are refusing to do that by just stonewalling. That's not right. And the and as as members of the public concerned with the safety of the public, engineers need to press them to release it, and the politicians should be pressing them. The fact that they're not is disconcerting. Well, uh, you say that you know you could do a hand calculation and prove that it wouldn't happen. You can. So then, what's what's the issue then? What what why don't this, you just this do a hand calculation, show it to people, and then that's proven it? That's proves it's controlled yeah, well, demolition. And then, then when we no, I didn't say. That. I said the NIST World Trade Center report is non-explanatory. It has errors, omissions, distortions, and ignoring. Of, of structural features that make it impossible. So they have not explained the failure. I want them to redo the investigation. That's what we want them to do. Could we all like that. But, you know, the question is, can we spend millions of dollars doing that? What's, what's the actual basis for that? A few errors like this how in much, one small aspect of it. How much cost economically? It's like 20 or $30 billion. So to sit there and, and all of the public irritation over this it's well worth the, another thirty to fifty million dollars. I think they spent twenty on the whole World Trade Center investigation. When it costs twenty to thirty billion, thousands of times more than that in economic damage, and they haven't satisfied the public, especially when we get we find out that they left things out that would have mattered. Well, you you're saying that the the uni- well, would you think that the University of Alaska study has proven that the World Trade Center Seven could not collapse via fire? Well, he's, they said they looked at the connections. This connection and this... But do you agree with that? That's the assertion well, that they I, I want it. to look at the study. I want to look right. at the study. Okay. So you think it's premature so then to say that it's, well, it's uh, proven anything? No. He's saying it could not come down by fire in his mind because he's looked at the connections. And the worst case, the worst case is the one this used, and that couldn't even happen. So it's like saying... I need somebody that weighs 150 pounds. But everybody I have, I have 10 guys, and they all weigh more than 220. So you never meet the criteria. This doesn't meet the criteria. Okay, okay but uh, Halsey also hasn't released his study, uh, so he hasn't really proven that he couldn't collapse Halsey through severe fire. Halsey has shown. He says, based on his calculations, that he's proven it. Do you think Halsey, that... Halsey has shown that the NIST analysis is an error. Well, he says that it 
He okay. says he's proven that he didn't collapse from fire. And then on top of that, he said he looked at all the connections. And like I said, if the worst case is what NIST used and that can't happen, then none of the other connections can fail. Well, who's and saying that's the worst just, case? I mean, that's... Uh, well, oh, there's you know, my mind. If you look at that building... There three, three simulations, case A, B, and C. I, I can look at that building. Case D or a case A2. I can look at that building and the, and the, and the erection drawings and say that was the worst case or the most that the case that had would have the most potential for failure and it couldn't happen there it was still I think, a long yeah, they certainly had, well uh yeah just looking at Hulse's study again like his next slide here his uh the slider going to the slide above that sorry uh he has a com comparison between his study and uh nist study and uh I'll just, there's a couple of points at the bottom here. He says, UAF based on NIST column temperature, column 79, did not buckle under gravity loading. Uh, now, I think this is a bit indicative of the quality of this study because uh, NIST didn't find that column 79 buckled under gravity loading either because oh, of the column temperatures. Well, oh, no, he's saying they said it was under gravity loading after it lost lateral support. From the no, girder. This is this is him talking about. This is him talking. He, he talks about it in the presentation quite near the start. He says like we, we wanted to see if the uh, column lost its strength because of the fires, and well, he's no, saying but, here no, it did not lose it its would, strength because of the fires. And, and this said this said that too. They said the columns didn't get exactly exactly. Degrees. So why is he so putting this in comparative studies? Thing he's comparing something that NIST didn't say with uh, something he's claiming to have found. One of the results of his there, study. It says there. Based on this column temperatures, yeah, column seventy nine did not buckle on the gravity loading. Okay, and they, and they what, say he the said the, what he said in the presentation, if you listen to it, he said you would think the columns buckled when you first hear about the collapse. And they said it happened by fire. He's saying that just in your own mind, you would think the columns were overheated and collapsed. Yeah. That's what he said. That's all he was saying there. So don't take that out of context. I well, watched, it's in a slide that's labeled comparative studies. Yeah, and the, the, the point about that, the thermal horizontal movement is a comparison yeah. between NIST 5.5 inch and the UAF uh, 2 inches. And I'll give you what, what's happening there. Okay, that's apples and oranges. Yeah, because, he's comparing because, apples and oranges. Well, and, 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 he did, and he did the analysis you need him to do. Okay, I am in contact with him. Most most of you guys probably know that, and what you have there is this showing the 5.5 inches that the girder was pushed relative to the column, and what Holsey is showing there is with shear studs that girder would have stayed with the column. However, he needed to show where the girder would go without shear studs with on the beams and the girder, and he did that. Okay, and the the girder does move 3.8 inches relative to the column from its original position and the column moves 1.9 inches so now you have about 5.7 inches of relative movement still not enough to even get the web off the seat even without stiffness and it would only go three and a half inches anyway because it would be trapped behind the side plate that was with that without side plates so, right, so he used happen. the wrong number here. But I think the problem is that he's been using this slide before he did this. He's had almost Nick, this exact same Nick, slide for Nick, over a year. There, what you're doing there is saying 
you have a typo. So your entire it's not a typo. He discusses he discusses in detail this two argument. inches, and he compares explain. it verbally many times to this figure of five point five. I just explained to you that he did an analysis without shear studs, and the girder did move relative to the column, and the total relative movement is five point seven inches. And I'm telling you, that's not enough to get the girder off the seat without stifters. And the stifters are on there. It could go a lot further than that. And on top of that, it gets trapped after three and a half inches of movement. And even then, if it comes off, it couldn't break through the next floor down. So here's a whole, there's four or five things there that show this is totally bogus nonsense. And I'm sorry if I get a little bit annoyed at it, but we've been talking about this for quite some time. And it's hard to tolerate. Any support okay. for this kind of theory? But my this problem here is that people are putting forward this Alaska study as if it's some kind of uh, authoritative, definitive study when you've got ridiculous errors like this in the this, slides. That's not a ridiculous error. He didn't. He was showing. He was showing what it would be with shear studs that the girder would stay with the. If call. he was trying to compare his study against this study, wouldn't he have done a list yeah. of points, pros and cons? The only two comparison points Nick, he made there, other than you, the differences in the type of simulation, were those two numbers. Are you willing two, to throw his study out because which were wrong and they were nonsense? He didn't give you the relative movement. He will give you that, and I know what it is, and I just told you that. I just told you what the relative movement was. So he That's he great. gave you, and he should have told yeah. us that a long time ago. Well, it took seven years from this to do it. World Trade like Center. Seven. At, uh, so the slide I'm showing now from Holstein study is showing like the the various displacements of the floor well, that's uh, in the building, and it's that's not showing legitimate. any local uh, any local oh, Nick, connection failures. That's more important here. What you should be looking at. NIST also locked down the east wall. What he's showing is the east wall is going to bow out. If you had a structure inside a trash can and lit a fire, a, a heavy structure like the core, the exterior would 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 move. This locked down the exterior. It, so all he's missing here is the relative movement of that girder to the column. The Which column I think is the actually important point. But it doesn't work even then when he did it. And I just told you what the results were. It still doesn't work. You have no argument, Mick. You're, I think, this, I think the issue with, um, with both of these... Uh, studies though is obviously you've got the NIST report which is leaving things out and then you've got obviously this report which certain parts of it are yet to be released if, if that makes sense obviously not all the information's there and uh, some of it may be seen as like theorizing obviously I know you've heard the answers Tony yourself because you've been in contact with the guy but obviously from Mick's standpoint he's only going with what That's he can see on this part. floor he showed in the earlier analysis and the start of his presentation that you can't get it off with all that the amount of movement could never get it off that the girder gets trapped behind the side plate anyway and the the, the stifters would even if it get, ever got past the side plate which it couldn't the stifters stop it from breaking and they can't break through the next floor down that has nothing to do with the whole movement thing what mick's doing there it's it's like you know somebody got a 10 on their test and then they want to complain the teacher subtracted one point over here. And well, no, I'm looking at the actual conclusion of the entire study. Oh, uh, this okay. is actually what you know he came up with, with these numbers as being uh, the reasons why it couldn't have collapsed. 
Now, you, know, you, you understand what the actual issues are, but I'm just basically looking at his presentation here. And a lot well, of people will take things like, you know, it was only two inches or whatever, and they will think that because of that, inches, it couldn't have happened. Oh, it's a lot more than that. And, and the reality is this cannot show engineering-wise that their failure mechanism works. They can't. It's a sham. It's well, a disgrace, and it should be redone. It would be nice if we could redo it. But well, the, yeah, the, reason I, the reason I brought up this uh, study from Alaska was that you were talking about how much it would cost. Uh, I think you mentioned like $20 million or something like that. And this study, the Alaska study, uh, was funded by AE911 Truth, and I think it was like something like $360,000 uh, that they, they paid for it. Uh, and... Well, they're on a shoestring relative to what this used. Relatively, relatively, yeah. $20 million. So would you say that that is an insufficient amount of money <laughs> to prove whether or not Building 7 could have collapsed from fire or not? No, I don't think. I think you could do it for that, okay? The way, and you think the way that they will, when, when the final report like this, comes out, do you think they will have Well, I think it? people are going to try to argue it, and, and I'd hate to hear them use the kind of argument uh, where, well, this... You know, could have been right here or there. I want them to show their work. They're not showing their work, and they're making assertions that when we do see their work, it's shown to be impossible. So I have no faith in what they've done so far. And I'd like to know who's going to be doing that. You know, they didn't but save you, any of the steel. If, if, if the University of Alaska is doing this study, which you think will be definitive, then why, why is there a need for a, a new NIST report? Because it's a government agency's responsibility. But if it's been proven by an actual was a study... 9-11 was a crime, okay? If there's a crime committed in your, in your town or, or state and, and, it's, and the investigation is messed up somehow by law enforcement and a citizen comes along and shows it was messed up, the town has an obligation, the government of the of the state or the town has an obligation to redo the investigation. Sure, sure. but right? the crime here was flying the build, flying the planes into the buildings. That was the actual no, crime, no, and that was no, what was investigated. No, 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 the damage, how the buildings collapsed, is also part of the crime. Nick. especially that's the results of the crime. They're the results of the crime. They're part of it. They need to be investigated. These were the biggest failures, building failures in history. The yeah. most catastrophic building failures. And they have not been adequately explained. And they need to be adequately explained. Well, the it's engineering community seems okay with the uh, what came really? out. Like, oh, name, name names, Mick. I well, saw you really, say uh, that people... There were very many engineers off the top of my head, but okay. uh, right. I didn't there's think been quite a lot of papers published. The, well, I, can, there's been, I, can, I work with uh, engineers every changes day. Changes to the building code based no, on what very few, very few changes were accepted for the building code. Very few. They just increased the thickness there, there of the estimate. There was about 20 or so different points. There's very uh, few. Improving very the strength of connections, like this connection we have here. Yeah, and, and did the International Building Code accept that, Mick? I don't think it did. Uh, I don't know about that particular one, no. but I know they did this, actually accept quite a lot of uh, them. And some of them uh, were structural. It, uh, they, uh, they accepted about 10% of the NIST recommendations. Very few. Very few. Okay. What I don't understand is obviously with the um, sort of NIST report, if it is flawed, which has been shown to be it is because they've left certain parts out, why would people necessarily believe it? Because obviously their what their work is flawed. Like they've left stuff out to make it to make 
the towers collapse or it to fit the situation, fit the narrative of the story or fit what Well, you've got to look at it in, in context there, Jay. Like, you know, what uh, was missing, which, you know, Tony claims was left out and I would say was just a, an omission or a simplification, uh, doesn't actually have a huge effect on the overall global model. It has an effect, perhaps, on that small local area, that local connection. And you know, people keep saying, like, oh, that has to be the way it collapsed. If it didn't collapse there, it's, it's impossible that anything could have happened. But the actual simulations that NIST did uh, show collapses starting in other areas, the 79 to 80, this you area here. Root, you know what a root cause analysis is, Mac? You should know. Okay, I do. You, find you, have the root show, cause, you have to show what the root cause is. They haven't shown that. The root cause they're claiming is impossible. <laughs> well, so we want them to redo the analysis. Of course, it's the what's, planes what's, flying into the building. No, Nick, Nick, Building 7, the, look, these are engineering failures, catastrophic ones, the greatest Indeed. in history. Okay, and it's a farce that we they haven't been adequately ex- explained, and it's a farce that they left out structural features that if there was just an error, whoever did that is incompetent. I think Completely the, incompetent. Um, and it gets worse than this, Mick. I'll tell you why. Because uh, their answer, they were asked. Let me just make this point, Jay. Yep. They were asked about leaving those stiffeners off. It took 19 months for them to answer. They kept stonewalling it. Finally, they yeah, said. Government they, for you. Well, well, I don't care. what. It, it's not just government, okay? Everybody in the government's not incompetent. Somebody might be hiding something. The problem is they said. The stiffeners were for web crippling. Our analysis showed web crippling wasn't an issue. Therefore, we didn't need the stiffeners. A structural engineer named Ron Brookman asked them, he sent them an FOIA letter asking about why they left the stiffeners off because they also strengthened the flange they say failed. They have never answered him. They've never answered him. They gave, they gave a, they admitted leaving the stiffeners off saying their analysis showed they weren't needed. That would be an incompetent analysis at best. At worst, it's criminal subterfuge. And we need a new investigation because of this kind of thing. I don't trust anything in that report because of what I'm seeing. I'm, I'm really confused as to why you keep wanting a new government investigation. You say it's the government's responsibility, but well, if they do an investigation, you're just not going to trust it. No, that's you not know true. that they're not going to do a new no, investigation. That's not true. You know that they're not show going to do a new if investigation. If you show me a root cause I can believe in, I'll believe it. I haven't well, seen a root cause I believe in yet, Mick. And that's why. Here's here's the thing, though. They're not going to do an investigation. So we're going to have to go with what we have. have... Why aren't they going to do a new investigation, Nick? Because they don't see sufficient justification for it. They don't think that these. So are uh, they incompetent or are they hiding something? Which one is it? Are they incompetent or are they hiding something? Well, uh, I think the other. If there is anything there, but I don't think it's like great incompetence. I think they did a good faith effort of making it a model. they, you have to make certain simplifications when you're making a model like this. You can't make that argument because we confronted them with it several times. They're stonewalling. Well, after they actually made the model, then they're done with it. You know, the people no, moved but on. they're not done with it. I can't get away with that in my not. work. If somebody shows us an error, I have to redo it. I can't just yeah, say I'm in the private sector, so it's, uh, it's a bit different. No, I'm not in the private sector, Mick. I'm actually yeah. working for the U.S. Navy right now, right? Okay. Okay. Well, My perfect. issue is, um, obviously, with World Trade Center 7, we say, you know, about planes and stuff, but no plane ever hit World Trade Center 7, and I always think to myself, how did the fires get in there? Because it was, like, 350, I don't know, 
yards, meters, feet, however feet, far feet, away. Feet, feet. feet away. Yeah. About so 120 yards. How does well, the debris sort of uh, reach there and if then you look start at causing fires? The picture I just put up here, this mm. is the south side of the building, uh, which is the side which is facing uh, World Trade Center 1 and was hit by the falling debris. And you can see there's a vast amount of damage to the south side of the building. Uh, there's a, a chunk taken out of the upper... That's uh, not where the failure started. They the the failure started no, the it's not, but this is explaining how the fires got into the building. You see this smoke coming out throughout right. the entire building. Uh, this okay. means that air can get in through everything on this side. So you've got these compartment fires which are fed by a, a readily available air source. And so there's so, really no problem with the fires actually getting started. Can I say, can I say something? With building, debris. building 7 is the only building on its block. The two buildings adjacent <clears throat> next to it. The post office of Ryzen building, again, it was some debris, small amount of debris. Neither one of them had fires. Only building seven. That's the only building that wasn't in the World Trade Center block. That's right. Okay, that was had a fire. The other buildings got hit, no fires. But do you find that suspicious somehow? Well, like no, the... no, he, I, I do have a problem with it. Okay, it had fires on 10 floors. No other building had fires. On many floors, it was off of that block. And then I have a problem with it this way. There was no fires... There's no photographic evidence of any fires in Building 7 for until 12.15, an hour and 47 minutes after the second tower went down. That tower, can you Well, that's show... because the fire started on the south side, which was facing oh. uh, the oh, disaster they area. Took they only picked, took pictures on the north side? No, if they first showed up, allegedly, on the side of the building. So you My think someone's is, hiding a bunch of photos on the south side of the building? An hour and 47 minutes is a long time. I think uh, there's a possibility it was arson, Nick. I'll be so you think that, that so <laughs> looking, the looking at this damage here on the south side of the building, oh, is it really that implausible? It's completely understandable that things could just come off of the, the four or five stories in the tower, 350 feet away, even though gypsum and concrete dust should be smothering it, and they'd fly over and start fires on 10 stories in just one building, not the other two. Yeah, that's completely plausible, Mick. That's what you're saying. That's it what sounds you're quite plausible anyway. to me. Right. Well, that's fine. I'm not. It's not very plausible to me. Okay, those fires will be getting doused in the North Tower when it started collapsing. It was 350 feet away. Well, that's not true, though. If you look at the North it Tower is. collapse, you can see a huge fireball okay. as the North Tower okay. actually collapses because there's a large amount of fire going on uh, okay, just before it, it collapsed. It's not 350 feet. It's a long way. Actually, can you show? I can show it. I have. I have a. Uh, I had a, I had something mixed up screen sharing for a minute and let okay. uh, Tony. Yeah. Yeah, I mean my my like simplifying it for me in simple terms is three buildings fell due to fire and two of them were hit by planes and to me it's like that's the only time well, the, in history that sort fell, of happened. Two of them were hit by planes is actually they didn't just fall due to fire. They few, yeah. they fell due to being hit by planes as well. If it was just fire the towers were probably not at all. Uh, we, can, we can talk about that, too, because they came down very evenly. And here's the tower stuff. I just yeah, wanted to show... i gotta, I got to share the screen? Is yeah, it, yeah, is share, it? share screen, call, share screen, and it'll come up. Yeah, I didn't, you didn't see it yet, right? Okay. No, it's not come up yet. Yeah. Is this a video or image? No, just image from the PowerPoint. Okay. Yeah. Share a window. I'm enjoying listening to you both, by the way. Like, you know, you've both got valid points, and 
I think it makes sense. I, I understand Nick's only got what he can sort of work with here and then obviously Tony's got what he's working with and some of the data hasn't been released publicly yet. Can you see my window yet? Healthy. No, no. Not yet. yet. I'm going to share the screen instead because it didn't... Uh... Let's see. Yeah, got that up. Okay, you can see it? Yep. Okay, so what I wanted to show, here's the debris map from FEMA. It shows Building 7 is in the outer edge of the light debris band. Okay, and the post office and the Verizon building, these two buildings, neither one of them had fires. They had some small debris. At any rate, here's a big chunk coming off. The, this is World Trade Center 1 right here, in the North Tower. Here's Building 7. That's about what you would expect. You wouldn't expect things to fly 350 feet. Just from the fire zone, because that would be hot stuff. When it's being quenched with all that dust. <laughs> so, And then you don't see fires in Building 7 for an hour and 47 minutes. Sounds a little hokey to me, Vic, to just wave your hands, which is what NIST did, or Shyam Sunder, or those guys, and said, oh, it had to be started by the North Tower collapse. Well, they, wasn't, that's, wasn't that's the a tower, wild guess. Wasn't World Trade Center 7 sort of... I mean, someone's just commented saying it's up. World Trade Center Seven is upwind as well, so obviously maybe it seems like a rather, oh, rather well, misleading well, photograph. The, uh, the wind, the wind, the, there was some wind out of the north. I don't know that that would have mattered. You but know the that is, the debris did actually hit World Trade Center Seven. I didn't say no debris hit it. I'm saying it wouldn't be very big pieces. And I have a problem with. I have a problem with. Well, Another it doesn't take much that, fire. You could make right, a three-foot piece Nick, of uh, There was fires molten. on 10 floors. There's no fires in the Verizon. Or, or You would expect, it's not absolute, but you would expect that there would be fires in the Verizon building absolute. the post and, office. And, well, for something that's a higher just building, building as well. Just in the middle. Just, that doesn't matter whether it's higher. Just in the middle, just on the middle building, the buildings on either side, nothing happens to just the middle building gets 10 fires. I can see maybe just about one fire in the Verizon building, two in the post office, 10 in building seven. No, none in them, only in building seven. I mean, investigators would wonder about that, Mick. An honest investigator would wonder. And the yeah, fact that they're not, and the fact that they got rid of all the steel. This got hardly, they got no steel from building seven. Here's the most catastrophic, allegedly first failure of a high-rise superstructure type building, large building, steel frame building in history, and they get none of the steel. And Mayor Rudy Giuliani was involved in that. Okay, and I right, think... Can I, can I just show you something here from the, uh, yeah, the screen, stop an earlier point? Uh, stop screen sharing, Tony. Do I, what do I do? Just turn it off? Yeah. Just click uh, on the plus and do stop. Did it, did it go off? No, no. If you go to Skype... No, I gotta go to Skype, yeah. Say so stop. Cool. And then all and share screens and then stop sharing. Yeah. Yeah. That should work. Cancel. Did that work? No, it's still up on my screen. It's not it's not giving me stop sharing your screen. Oh, maybe I have to There we go. <laughs> okay, you have to click it. Okay. All right. Did it stop right. now? So yeah, I'm yeah, gonna share my screen. Yeah, Mick. Far Real quick. Away. Now this this photo here is of World Trade Center <laughs> One, right. uh, which was taken just six minutes before it collapsed. Mm -hmm. And I think 
if you look at the amount of fire in that, it's really not that implausible that it could make its way down to Blood Trace Intercept. It has to fly 350 feet. So what? So what? Oh, that's a horizontal flight. That's a lot. Now it comes down from here and, down oh, to here. Okay. Or down to here. Nick, Nick, can you, it's can not you, horizontal. Can you show? Very, you very show, shallow. Can you show when when the collapse starts and you know, all the gypsum dust that should have been smothering those fires? Well, I, I make fires in my fireplace every night, and uh, they get covered in ash. Uh, and when I go in the morning, there's sometimes glowing embers because they've been covered by ash. All it takes is a few embers to start oh, a fire. You don't, you don't need to, to have a large fires fireball. Ten, ten floors and none in the buildings adjacent to it. None. Zero. Fires on ten if floors. If you take a large a piece build. of burning wood and you throw it off the top of a mountain, it'll still be burning when it hits the ground. Yeah, I'm saying the, the fire will actually make you. Are, uh, the wind will actually the make you burn. Chances of flying that far away. It comes this, from down this, here. It's to down. Good. It's, no, no. You're showing big buildings that are very tall. That's a good distance. 350 feet, 350 feet is well, a football field in length. Things don't fly on their own that easy when they're very heavy. And I got news. I got one to tell you. Okay? Shyam Sunder, this tries that they do it with and without debris damage of the southeast face and corner of Building 7. And the one they claim only the southeast corner got hit. And we have a photograph. That's we have photographic yeah. evidence right there, right? And then they did the width debris damage where they said seven columns were severed. You may not be aware of how much force it would take to take out one of those columns in the perfect sweet spot. It's 10,000 pounds for each column. And I can tell you, NIST has no evidence of that. And they should have never done that with debris model. And the reason I could say that is because Shyam Sunder admitted, implicitly admitted, that they had no evidence when he said the real damage is probably in between the width and without the debris model. That means but they have no the, evidence. The, the damage doesn't actually contribute that much to the, the fact of the collapse of World Trade Center 7. It, it changes the way it looks. The damage contributed none. Okay? They couldn't get the collapse started with their initiation. Column 79 is not going to buckle. It's never going to happen. No, they, they okay. did simulations without damage, and uh, column 79 still buckled with the fires alone. No, because they said the girder came off its seat, and it didn't. It couldn't. So their whole initiation and their whole collapse progression is bogus, and it doesn't match. And here's another thing I want to get into with you. They say the east interior came down. If that were true, when they, they collapsed, when the east interior came down, the east exterior would have had tremendous deformation. It does in their model, but it doesn't in reality because in their model, they're taking it down. And when you stop laterally supporting columns after 15 or 20 stories, they're going to buck on their own weight. That happens in the NIST model. It doesn't happen in reality because those columns are probably still there. And you know that I say that the east penthouse collapse was probably just in the um, – what are you showing there, Mick? This is showing uh, a time lapse of the fires, just to show that uh, the fires were actually going throughout the entire process. You can see the fires spreading here on World Trade Center 2, and you can't see anything right now, but you can see small fires across here, and you'll see fires spread across World Trade Center 1. So it's just showing know. there's a, a very active fire yeah. going up. Well, we, uh, we all saw a, a lot of video of the fires, Mick, so I don't know what that's telling us. I'm saying it's very hard 
for burning oh, items right. to fly 350 feet. And I'm saying that the NIST collapse model doesn't have a basis. Okay? And they left things out to try to make it plausible. And when we found out, we confronted them, and they're refusing to own up to it and come clean and redo the analysis. They're refusing to do that. Uh, so, yeah, I think we've discussed why. And I think, like, you know, the ball's in your no, court now. No You've got to actually yeah. demonstrate no, that. No, the ball's uh, in the government's court. They should. That you, have, have you know that they're not going to do anything. Well, then they should be so, fired. Yeah, you, you, can, you can keep saying, like, you think there should be a new investigation, but there isn't going to be one. Because we have a corrupt government. That's why. Tell the truth. Well, I, I agree Everybody with that. that's proven wrong, Mick, in an official capacity and doesn't change what they're doing is corrupt and needs to be removed. Uh, well, I, I think perhaps okay. we have a court system for that. But well, uh, we're going to take it should go to court, and the court will find that if the court's not corrupt, there's a lot of corruption in this country. And this whole thing about how these buildings came down is entirely, unfortunately, it's entirely bogus. And we are living in la la land. And you know what? That's a problem living in la la land. You know why? Because when you don't know what the reality is, you can't make good decisions. Okay? As adults, we want to know what the reality is so we can make good decisions. And we can't with this. We can't. Myself, obviously, sort of being in the middle, um, it's very hard to, like, sway on either side because, like I've said countless times, you've got one one side which produces... uh, an experiment and a simulation, etc., based on, you know, information that they've tailored to fit suit by removing certain elements. And then obviously you've got, um, you know, another experiment that's come out and is kind of proving that fires didn't collapse the building and here's why, because... And then showing that, you know, the NIST report is flawed. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're not able to see sort of everything... This you know we're not able to see it all published yet, so I think it's hard to to form an, an opinion form an here's opinion the, on. Here's the problem, Jay. Usually, mm. in an engineering situation like that, when there's a controversy, it gets resolved because you relook at it. They're refusing to do that, so I have anybody that does well, that. They're, you have to they're refusing because they feel it's been sufficiently no, looked at. And no, I would encourage no people to go and read the NIST no report because there's a lot of information in there yeah. that you're just not talking about. No you're talking about one thing. It's one initiating kind of event. No good engineer uses that kind of excuse, Mick. No good engineer does that. If I somebody think... comes up with a criticism, it's got to be discussed and answered. They're not mm. doing it. They're refusing to. There's answer. all kinds of criticism, man. You know, do we have oh, to discuss like Mick. beams from space? Oh, Mick. Just Mick. I'm you sorry think that be- your, your criticism is very reasonable, but you think Mick. that uh, other people's criticism is less reasonable? No, there was the unreasonable. Oh, no planes hit the towers. That's nonsense. All that kind of jokey stuff. Okay, you can go debunk that all day, Mick, if that's what you like to do. Nobody serious like myself ever even took that serious. That's probably people put in here to make people look bad. These building failures have problems, true, real problems, okay? And we're not, we're not talking about insignificant issues that serious people like myself didn't talk about. Well, there's, there's people within architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth who think that planes did not hit uh, no, the Pentagon. There's no, look, there's nobody talking for 9-11 Truth that talks about that. The, okay? Yeah, there is. There's the, your CEO lady. No, he I remember did not her name. say... 
anything about the Pentagon, and most of us leave that alone because we're not sure. We can look at the buildings and say there's problems. There's serious anomalies with these buildings, and there's serious problems with the reports, and we want them redone. And the people that did them are saying, no, we, 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 don't, we don't agree. That's not how engineering is done. When somebody criticizes something legitimately, you discuss it. The American Society for Civil Engineering Journals is doing the same thing. Zednik Byzantz analysis, which this depends on for the vertical, vertical propagation of the towers, is totally flawed. He doubles, he quadruples the kinetic energy by using the maximum design load and free fall. That wasn't in free fall. Well, Byzantine's using kind of a, a mathematical model which doesn't actually Jesus, represent you know, the actual collapse. And if you oh, look at this picture not, here on my screen, like well, you can this see the, is still, the, the this core is still remaining. Using Byzant, maybe this needs to use your analysis, Mick. Okay, because Byzantine is bogus. And so is the NIST analysis on the towers because of that. Byzantine analysis is bogus, and they don't have your analysis, Mick. So I want them to do a new one. Now, if you want to suggest well, that you're doing basically a, a worst-case analysis for no, wh whether no. progressive collapse could actually happen or not. Bazan has a no-case analysis. There's no, there's, it doesn't work. He's got, he, he, he reduces the column energy absorption by three times, and he quadruples the kinetic energy. This kind of the point, though, because the collapse no, didn't go not. through the columns. Of course it did, Mick. How well, why is, is, why are these columns still standing pounds? here in this picture? Mick, Mick. That's way down after the collapse. I'm that's, talking that's about, about that's uh, halfway up the building. Mick, I'm talking about at the beginning of the collapse, not 50, 40 stories down or 30 stories down. At the beginning of that collapse, you had a 73 million pound 12 story upper section. Mm -hmm. Inertia alone is going to keep that dropping straight down. It's not moving to the side unless you have a lateral force. So it did right. not miss the columns. The reason. It moves at two-thirds the rate of gravity, which, by the way, if a car was accelerating at that, would do an 11.2-second quarter mile. Most cars today can't do better than 16. That's how fast the towers collapsed. But the, the columns would contact each other in a natural collapse, and you would have had an enormous deceleration because those columns are very strong. The exterior columns only had 20% of their capacity used, and the core a third. So the upper section, they could support three to five times that in order to in order to break through it you have to have an amplified load and an impact and that what happens there is the impacting object has to decelerate guess what when the, you measure it the, that's the, the south the tower. columns are not lined up though i don't want to talk about the south tower the north no. tower is what we measured because it doesn't tilt and the same thing happens that that happened to the south tower all it has that, to do is move about three feet to the side yeah Okay, Mick, it's not moving to the side. 73 well, million pounds. Columns, Mick, uh, 73 million the pounds. Away, then the sliding one against the other. Uh, 73 it's really not million that, pounds. Uh, complicated. Yeah, well, you show me mathematically how the North Tower could have done that, Mick, and I'll read it. I haven't seen you I do that. And I don't want to do it on your website. I want you to send me a small paper on that, Mick. Why don't you do that? And we'll all read it and <laughs> tell you what we think. I think... Um... Like, obviously, we can say, again, um, you know, Mick, for example, if uh, you made a game and <coughs> outsourced it and found that there was bugs in the game and they bring it back to you and said, oh, there's there's bugs and flaws in the game, like, do you want to release it still? You'd be saying, no, you know, we need to fix well, these problems. I would like it if this did another, another report. It would be great. 
I just think so, realistically they're not going to. Well, you I, and I, they don't agree think on there's that justification one. for doing it. Nick, I think you, I think you, deep down, understand they need to do it. You just don't believe they want to do it. No, I'd, I'd like them to do it. Yeah, well, that's I don't good. think that there is justification that. for spending the money. Well, but that's is. why I'm quite excited uh, about uh, the University of Alaska Fairbanks uh, Nick, study. Nick, NIST is and, responsible. And uh, I hope the something useful will come out of that. The University of Alaska is not responsible. NIST and our Congress and our president. Well, surely they're, they're being paid $360,000 to do the report, so they're mm -hmm. responsible to the people paying them. They are, but they're not responsible to the country, and our government is. And they need to do it because they have a seriously flawed and actually bogus report. That's the right. Well, part. maybe we should wait until uh, Alaska gives their opinion. Well, that's that's what we're probably going and to do. And it's a bit like you shouldn't really say it's the University of Alaska doing it because it's really just Leroy oh, Halsey I and okay. uh, I said to you, I didn't say the University of Alaska was doing it. I said the University of Alaska Fairbanks study done by Dr. Leroy Halsey. Okay. Okay. Well, should we come to an agreement on on this little part of the subject that? Um, once the the people release the study, um, obviously Mick, you'll give it give it a look, and then obviously you can decide in your own opinion whether or not you support what's being shown in the information, and whether you feel again like alongside Tony that maybe a NIST uh, an official NIST report should be done. Um, you know, based on. Well, I'm definitely going to look at that study in detail when it comes out. I've already you know, spent quite a bit of time looking at their preliminary stuff. And found quite a few problems with it. Well, some of which I don't I, think, I I don't think, on, think yeah. you found were really problems, Mick. Okay, so I think as well with the, discuss um, we can, but. with the uh, sort of obviously from Tony's standpoint as well is obviously with NIST doing it and the government backing it and behind it obviously offers to an extent more credibility from the general public because, say for example, this guy does re when when his paper's officially released people are still going to be like oh well you know the government doesn't lie they've already done it and disproved what he's saying so we'll follow that one whereas you know for example if the president of the united states comes out and says something about a conspiracy theory people will well, believe it whereas they're already saying donald trump lies all the time so. <laughs> well, <laughs> but you know what i mean obviously with that. offers uh that, that offers some some credibility to to what you're saying you know for example i've spouted some stuff to like my parents or whatever you know weeks before and then it comes on the news and they're like oh yeah oh okay and i'm like well i told you that two weeks ago but now the news is saying that you believe it do you know what i mean so i think mm. in that sense of things as well with, with the report and stuff yeah i think you know the problem here is like how do we communicate these issues to the the general public uh, you know, Tony gave his uh, quite detailed explanation at the start, but I'm sure a lot of people's eyes were glazing over when he was talking about like springs being in series and things like that, because the vast majority of people just don't understand that type oh, of thing. I, but engineers will, Mick. Okay, you you probably understood it. Other engineers, I I would assume you're part engineer. You were a video engineer, game engineer, software yeah. engineer. <laughs> yeah, you are a soft engineer by by degree, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, so you are, you are an engineer, for right? me, obviously, it's all about, you know, with the architects and engineers stuff, it can come across really overwhelming with the information. And, uh, you know, when you was talking at the beginning, Tony, obviously, I'm not an engineer, so it's sometimes hard for the average person to to understand. Um, right. right. Know, no, I understand that. We tried maybe a bit more simplified. <coughs> well, we try to do that. You can only simplify so much. And what mm. you have to do 
is there's some things you may need to learn. And I can tell you a site, this guy, IGSP, I can't remember the fellow's name. It's Noel or something. He says that at first, when he first started hearing like things that I said or David Chandler and others, you know, he needed to go read some things. And then he started, not this had an agreement, he said. I think it's IGSP studies or something about Building 7. But um, at any rate, the point is we need a new analysis. Somebody, there, there is a cover-up, and somebody at NIST, that. Do, they do not want to reinvestigate this, and they're not, they're not, uh, they're stonewalling. They're not being open about it and recognizing the obvious errors and, and uh, discussing them and, and redoing their analysis, which they should be doing. In an honest situation, that's what would happen. I think, I think there's kind of a little uh, asymmetry of uh, a perception of the issue here, though. Uh, a lot of people are obviously think there's something up with 9-11, but the majority of people think that the government explanation is sensible. Now, these aren't just simply people taking one word over the other. People think that the government explanation is sensible because they saw what happened on 9-11. They saw planes fly into buildings. They saw the buildings collapse. And it Everything seems like the most reasonable explanation every, you know, because you've there heard was a the fire. Firemen said the buildings were going to collapse. The so it's collapsed from fire. Everything that glitters isn't gold. Okay. Do you know a lot of things aren't instinctive? And there's one a question I ask people, and you may know the answer. Um, if you had a cubic foot of moist air, water vapor, and a cubic foot of dry air at the same pressure and temperature, which one would be heavier, the moist air or the dry air? I don't mm. even know the answer to that. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you how, how, how instinct doesn't always work, and I'll tell you why. And you, get, you might be surprised, both of you, when you hear the answer the same. and the explanation. Okay. <laughs> They'd be similar, it's I the would think. There. No, they're not similar, Mick. And if they were, you and I wouldn't, we, the three of us wouldn't be here. The moist air is lighter. The dry air is heavier. And if that weren't true, water vapor wouldn't rise. I read this in the 1970s in the Navy. I was taking a jet engine correspondence course, and the professor that wrote the book said the moist air is lighter than dry air. I said, how can that be? When I went to Villanova after getting out of the service, I asked my physics professor. He guessed the moist air was heavier. And I told him about the book. He wanted to see it. It wasn't until the late 90s that I was reading weather books to get statistics for doing environmental spec for cell phone antennas that are now ubiquitous. I was working in that industry for a while. Then I ran across Jack Williams from USA Today, his book, and he explained why. Because H2O is the atomic number is 18. H is one, you have two of them, oxygen is 16, one of them, that's 18. Air is 78% N2, nitrogen doesn't exist monatomically, it's diatomic, and oxygen is the same way. So N2 is 28, because nitrogen is 14. You have 78% times 28, and O2 is 32, you have 21% of that. Air is about 29 atomic weight. So dry air, which is is heavier than H than gaseous H2O. And if that weren't true, water vapor wouldn't rise, clouds wouldn't form, water vapor wouldn't circulate. Well, that doesn't sound true. That doesn't sound it true to me. I think you're, you're taking one unintuitive thing and then you're intuiting no. something else. Because no. if the well, air possibles are at the same I'm temperature saying, and pressure, when it's in right. You make a mistake here with this whole shockwave thing, I think. I think it's happening far too fast. You think the shockwave coming down the building is the actual penthouse going through it, and I don't think that's true at all. 
I think the penthouse stopped at the 46th story or so, which was a very strong floor. And the reason I can say that is I think there's other evidence that I, I want to show. There's no dust coming out of the north face of the building when you're saying that penthouse is crashing through there. There's no dust. There's no dust occurring until the exterior comes down. Well, okay. the, that's because the uh, air would rush out the back of the building and to the oh, sides. Okay, it's not all the same right. as the well, tower collapse. Right, I think right. uh, Jay may be you. not knowing what we're talking about here. Maybe right. we should uh, explain it. it. Yeah, Sim simplify it for little old me. <laughs> Let me show a video. You could actually show this. Uh, I guess I get a. Let me just share my video real quick. I got to share my screen, right? Yeah. In in response to the um, fireman comment mick when you said like firemen saw fires and that you had a lot of firemen also like over 300 or 150 odd that um said that they heard explosions and they saw it coming down like boom 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 and they all kind of say like a con controlled demolition theory and these are like eyewitness accounts countless numbers of them that do say that there was an explosion there was explosions before the planes even hit, and so on. Like, what's what's that about? Well, people uh, in an event like this, you're going to hear sounds that sound like explosions, things falling off the buildings, things uh, exploding because of the, the fires. They, they also said they saw one. A couple of firemen said they saw flashes going around the building like a belt. Now that's yeah, not, an odd, that that's window, not an odd. Random, that's not an odd random random flash. And this is a professional saying that. It looks like there was demolition charges in the building, and they felt like there was demolition charges. And Building 7, I want to show this 30-second or one-minute compilation. Yeah, if you give me okay. one second, I'll get it up on my end as well, just so the audio comes okay. through. Okay. Um, give me one second, and then we can play them at the same time. That way it'll work better. Okay. Uh, so it's the one-minute one, yeah? Yeah. The, okay. the first one. You ready? I Please. most certainly... Does my screen, is my screen shared? Yeah, yeah, you screen shared. Yeah. It's just the audio won't come through, so I'm going to put the oh. audio on now. Anyways, let's play it. All right, you ready? For the mm -hmm. third time today. Okay. It's reminiscent right. of those pictures we've all seen. This is Dan Rather, the former CBS anchor. A building was deliberately destroyed by well-placed dynamite to knock it down. <coughs> Did they actually use the word broadcast? Who was, was telling you this? Now, now you'll see there's no dust until through the windows and, um, until the exterior comes down. Did you see that, Nick? You'll see it again in other issues. No dust until now. After the exterior comes down, there's no way that penthouse went through there. No dust yeah, but the, 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 the collapse is follows the penthouse. The, the window uh, breakage. The window the breakage could be caused by a shock wave from the penthouse coming down a couple stories of the building. And that shock wave is pretty fast. I, I think it's far too see. see no, that shock wave actually, if you uh, sync up the shock wave with the uh, simulation of the uh, uh, building falling. Measure the it speed. actually moves at the same speed as the fall of the penthouse. I don't believe that. All right, let me just let me share my see, screen. Then. Now Mick, we'll see. Now, Mick, I have to see analysis. Well, me, it's I, very simple. I, I've done the analysis, Mick, and I can show it to Mick, you right now. Mick, it gets disproven right there when you don't see any dust until the exterior comes down. All right, well, let me just show Mick. you uh, the analysis of the uh, speed of the collapse wave. Yeah, I don't, Mick, I want a little more analysis than what I saw on your site. Yeah, well, I'll show it to the other people, and they can have a look at it. If you could shop, stop sharing your screen, I could uh, share mine. Okay, all right. I gotta stop sharing my screen. Okay. 
Okay, so you see the three buildings there? Uh, it's just come up now, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we can see All right. So this is uh, a looping uh, synced version of real-time videos sped up times eight. Nick, I think you uh, sped up the NIST, the, the NIST uh, failure on the far right. Yeah, they're all, they're, sorry, they're all sped up times eight. Yeah. So they're all uh, time synced. Uh, you can see by the speed of the laps of the penthouse at the top, they're all sped up. That's shockwave uh, fast. You can see the shockwave matches this red area here, which is the collapse of the penthouse. It actually moves slightly ahead of it. Well, it's so basically, hard, and because it's 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 hitting something, Mick. That's why the shockwave starts at the top. So, but you were saying the shockwave was go very fast. It's basically doing at the same full speed. Mick, Mick, I don't know. The same speed. I'd have to see something other than a little couple little videos put together. I want measurements, but the point these, I'm trying to make is there's no way that that penthouse is falling all the way down through there like this shows on the right, and you're trying to claim when no dust comes out of the windows until the exterior comes down. That means that's because the none of the windows are broken and the air that is oh, being pushed well, gets 15, pushed out in the back. 15, of the building. No. Oh, come on. It's only coming out the back when the penthouse, which was in the north side of the building, you know. The penthouse was on the north side. But you're telling the me all the, the entire building. No, that penthouse was in the northeast corner. It was right up against the north face. It was yes, but it goes all the way located. nearly back to the back of the south. Thing. It's a hundred foot long. That doesn't matter. You're telling me something that's located right up on the north face and goes a hundred feet back. All the air goes out the other side. Come on, Mick. Okay, this is like, it's like silly. The well, point uh, I'm air to goes where there is no, uh, Nick, no resistance. So it's, uh, if there's all the windows are missing on the south side of the building, then, then the air is going to go to the east, uh, to the west. Sorry, windows were broken by the shock wave when that when that penthouse came down a couple so you, stories. Your theory up. is that the penthouse just fell like one or two floors. That's right, because no dust comes out of the no dust comes out of the exterior. Until, because uh, I think all the core columns were still you there. Think there was this shock wave that went down that was caused by what exactly? The penthouse hitting the 47th and 46th floor. And this That's... caused a slow motion ripple down the surface of the building? Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, surely it would move, well, the shock wave would move at the speed of the sound in material. The you, shock, saying it's the it's shock kind of rippled wave, like a. The shock wave like causes distortion, it's not the stress wave. Okay, you're com you're confusing the stress wave with the shock. So wave. this distortion wave, you could calculate the speed at which that would propagate through the exterior of the building. Nick, there's no way that that penthouse came down. Without you're just going dust. by your feeling here, no, like you think it's, it's not. Enough. No, it's not feeling. Okay, there's two reasons I said. Several reasons I say it. One is there's no dust coming out of the exterior when you're saying, and this is saying. The entire the penthouse fell all the way down through the east side. Then on top of that, there's no exterior deformation like you see in this model. I'm glad you're showing this. See all the deformation at the top? Yeah. You don't see that in a real building. That's because in the real building, it didn't come all the way down like that. It only came down a couple stories. And then most of the, the core columns were there intact for most of the building, up to like the 44th or 45th floor. And eight stories of the core, the complete core, had to be taken out. Okay, to affect the collapse of all four sides of the building at the same time. All four corners of the roof line come down simultaneously. You can't do that with what this is saying or what you're trying to say. It isn't happening. 
And you don't have any deflection of that exterior, like this is showing in the real collapse. Uh, you have a little deflection, but obviously it's not uh, the same. That's a rotation. You can see it. You can see it's uh, bending here. That's, but that's only after the exterior comes down, Mick. After the when interior just, comes down, yeah. Uh, it's after the exterior comes down, you get a little rotation to the east side. There's no rotation on the east side until the exterior comes down. And th this is saying, <coughs> and then this model, when they take that whole east side out, the east side exterior radically deforms in their model. If you can show that again, you'll see it. Okay, and that's not realistic. In the, in, it, it can't be happening in the, real, in the real collapse because those columns would deform just like well, this, this, I assume, would be something that uh, Holst's study would show. Is he going to do, actually model uh, a collapse of the building, or is he just going to model up to no collapse? Oh, I think he's modeling collapse. He's doing a okay. progressive collapse, yeah. So we'll see uh, how his exterior differs from reality and from the NIST model. Have you seen this yet? He's working on it. I haven't seen okay. anything yet, no. Because you know, like it doesn't take that much to make quite significant differences in things, like the uh, strength of the moment-resisting connections that Mac, hold the wall Mac, together. You can't make that. You can't make. You can't make all four walls come down. See again, like you're saying definitive things, Mac, which would seem cannot, to prove. No, I can prove it. I can prove it. Well, that's, that's great. That's great. So why do we need to have a new study if you can prove because it? Because we're trying to talk to the public here, Mick. You and I are having a debate for the right. public mind. That's what we're doing. Okay. So if we get a I'm new NIST to, study and there's all this corruption, surely they're just going to come up with the same answer again. Well, then we're going to say it again and we're going to show the corruption again. So like how is that going it. to help? Why don't you just well, demonstrate eventually, eventually that the, the collapse get, is impossible? Eventually some things get cleaned up, Nick. Eventually they do. And sometimes when you put enough pressure on, the crooks worry about getting caught the next time. So that's so why what you need to do, really, I think, is make a much more compelling case than you've well, been making up to this made, point. I think I've made a complete, very compelling case. Maybe not in your mind, but in a number of people's engineers. minds. Well, I don't think there's any engineers uh, watching oh, this podcast. Oh, I but. Think <laughs> you, Mick. Okay, when I was at Lockheed Martin, anybody I told, as soon as they looked into it, they understood there was a problem. Okay, every place I've been since I started looking into this and told other engineers about it, they understood it very quickly. Okay, so oh, I'm I sure they understood the issues that you were raising, but did they agree with you that it proved that it was not uh, a collapse yes. due to fire? They understood that there's a problem with the NIST report. Yes, they did. Yeah. And like I said, I would like a new NIST report. Yeah. I would like a new NIST report too. It would be great if you could have one. I just realistically don't think that based on what you've been presenting so far, well, you actually get one. Well, we Maybe we with agree. Alaska. Well, right. Okay, we'll, we'll say, see. I think, I don't think you can support the NIST report, and I would I encourage people to read investigation, it. and hopefully we'll we'll get one. Okay? Do you not think, um, like Mick? Do you not think a lot of coincidences had to happen that day? That <laughs> certain certain elements not to be sort of, you know, certain well, things not to be working properly, or yeah, whatever. sure. I mean, in any situation, for an end result to happen, coincidences have to happen. But I don't think there are particularly exceptional coincidences. Uh, you know, they were luckily the, lucky that they hit the buildings as well as they did. But, I mean, uh, obviously you've got, you know, pilots and whatever. I mean, I know we've gone over this, pilots that have tried simulating it and hitting it at they, that speed. They, they couldn't hit the buildings until they came down the landing speeds. And I have to tell the audience this. The dynamic pressure is a function of velocity squared. 
So 500 miles an hour is something like 20-some times. I could do it real quick. 160 squared is 25,600. And 500 squared is 250,000. So it's like nine times, nine to ten times the pressure. You make any little move on that stick and you're going to miss the buildings. And pilots in a simulator couldn't do it. According to a, one of the airline's uh, instructors, the simulator instructor, it, they tried so to do it. So you think he was remote control planes? Hit well, the there's a possibility of that, Mick. The South Tower plane... Well, they would have heading. to be. Nick, <laughs> if the Nick, pilots couldn't Nick, get it. The South Tower plane wasn't heading, wasn't nosing for the South Tower. It was going towards New York City Hall until it was about three or four, three to five miles out, and it made a 45-degree turn. A human pilot, especially a hijacker, okay, who had minimal training, is going to be nosing. He turned around over, I live in New Jersey, he turned around around New Brunswick, 50, 50 miles out or so. He would be nosing for the building. He wasn't. He was going towards New York City Hall, and I wouldn't put it past Mayor Rudy Giuliani to have put a homing device in New York City Hall, and then had a handoff a few miles away from the tower with a smaller homing that device. Seems very speculative. Right? Said, I've flown well, planes before. Nick, and you, I, I you identify that as speculation. You decide you're going to make a turn at a certain I, point. Nick, Nick, so, I can tell you right now, those towers are, are hard to hit. They're hard to hit yeah. at 500 miles an hour. Could we not agree that at least the pilots, you know, they were so inexperienced, like you've had their No, no, not agree on that. The pilots that hit the buildings, uh, a lot of them had commercial uh, licenses, which means that they had to have, I think it's something like 600 hours of actual in flight training. Pilots for 30 years couldn't do it in the simulator unless they were landing speed. Yeah, well, Jesse Ventura couldn't fire the plane that killed JFK. If you try hard enough, you you won't be able to do things. OJ couldn't put his gloves on. JFK, OJ killed his wife and Ron (laughs) Goldman. That's proven. Okay? I don't believe OJ. Do you? No, but he couldn't put his gloves on. Okay. Which is okay. the same thing as pilots who agreed on that. No, trying to, the same to demonstrate thing. that they couldn't hit the buildings. And the same thing as Jesse Ventura trying to pretend that he couldn't get like three shots off in put five his seconds. Gloves on because he was wearing latex gloves underneath that create friction when he tried to put the leather gloves on. That was bogus. Yes, I know. I'm, <laughs> they shouldn't point, let him do it. People can be motivated into not uh, doing things when they're doing experiments. That's like NIST leaving off the stiffeners and, and ignoring the, the side perhaps plates. It is, the perhaps it is. But yeah. my point is just because like some pilots who think it's impossible show that it was impossible doesn't they mean it's impossible. No, they couldn't do Get it. Get me behind a simulator and I'll, uh, I'll give it a go. Okay, Nick. I, I'll find out who this airline instructor was and I'll have him get in contact with you. Where I'll... where where did you get the information for uh, how many hours and stuff they flew for? Because I couldn't find any to say they'd had like commercial jet experience all i ever see is... it wasn't commercial jet experience it okay. was uh, uh commercial pilot experience which is a type of uh type of license that you need and it basically is a lot of uh navigation stuff it's a license you need to be able to take passengers uh, in places Didn't... but they did have uh, sufficient training uh, the stuff you may have seen about Cessna? like them yeah you know, cessna's like not being rented to them that happened a long time before the actual attacks, and they did a lot more training after that. So if you look at the actual, what their training was current uh, with the attacks, then it was sufficient for them to do that. And there's a lot of nonsense going around, like the Pentagon plane, for example. People talk about this 360-degree uh, turn or whatever it was uh, before it hit the Pentagon. 
And the only reason they did that was that he needed to lose altitude. It's a standard maneuver that's really easy to do. You just use off the throttle a bit and you, about, yeah. you, you set but, a, a small is, turn and you turn all the way around and you get back it, where you started it, and you lower. It is funny it's, it's that he hit the opposite side of the building from the direction he was coming in. No, he was, he was a, still going in the pretty much the same direction at uh, that point. Well, he just, did, he just he turned around. He hit the east side and he was coming from the west. So he went around the back and then hit the back door. But he needed but that, to make I that maneuver mean, at that point well, to change altitude. He may have. He may have. I think what we... it's an easy maneuver, that, but people say that's an impossible maneuver. It's really easy. I don't, I don't complain about that. All I know is there's a lot of problems with those building collapses. The NIST report, when looked at by people like me, is easily shown to not be valid. And then why do you need a new investigation if it's easily shown? I, I, easily oh, shown. Oh, Vic. Because I want, we need to know, as a community, what happened, okay? And if it was a controlled demolition, it was done without a permit, and some of the politicians in New York City pre- performed criminal acts. That's why we need an investigation, Nick. Do you think, think we should have an investigation of the towers? Yes, I do. So you and think I they think were controlled demolition as I well? Think, I think a lot of people need to be interrogated that had access to the interiors of those buildings. They weren't. They've never been interrogated. No contractors uh, or people. I'm not talking about people. The reason being, I think, is that people saw the planes hit the building, and that's oh, by far okay. and away the most sensible explanation. Okay. No, it's not by far and away the best explanation. Okay? Controlled demolition is much better. All those core columns wouldn't fail on their own simultaneously through the fire. They were taken and down. They just didn't, like which is why the building tilted over. No, they did all come down in the North Tower. They all come down at the same time, Mick. Okay, there was some tilt in the North Tower. One degree, and it didn't happen yeah. until after this the first two. Uh, or th- Mick, plenty. It was two or three. That's not plenty. The columns don't miss each other. They're only three eighths of an inch off across the other side of the building with one degree of tilt. There's no way the columns miss. There's no way all those core columns failed that fast and simultaneously. It's just no way. Okay, and I'd like to. I gotta run and get something to drink. So we All can right. do this again if you want, but I gotta get moving at some point. Yeah, okay. Sure. Well, um, it's been a very interesting discussion. Yeah. And Nick, I look I've forward got, to the Alaska study coming out. I've got. Maybe we can talk uh, again then. Questions randomly. If if Tony wants to run off, we can still chat. Or would you like to go and we can do this another time? I don't mind. Yeah, we can do that, and you can tell him you don't have to agree to it now, Mick. But we could do it again if you wanted to. Sure. Right. Yeah. All right, I'll see you guys. Cool. Yeah, bye. Oh, no. Uh, so that's just me and you. <laughs> yeah, it's probably not fair to discuss too many like technical stuff without Tony being here, but if you've got any questions for me, then uh, maybe. No, mine, mine was more about like the planes and the, the, um, and the report with kind of what happened on the day with like, um, like Norman's testimony, if you know about that. Norman Mineta? Yeah, where he said about sort of Dick Cheney and the stand-down order, etc. Et right, yeah, I'm not too familiar with that. I, mean, I think that's talking about uh, someone came into a room and said, does the order still stand? And Cheney says, of course, it still stands. But I'm not sure if people knew what he's actually referring to at that point. But that's not something I really looked into very much. Just where did you find the information on um, the pilots? Just so I can look it up after. Uh, I suspect it was 9-11 myths. Um, Just so I know. If, uh... But there's a lot of different uh, places on it. 
Yeah. Because obviously, if you look like, at the uh, yeah, 9/11 myths, there's an article called "Flight School Dropouts." Yeah. Uh, which uh, has the information about that. Okay. And various pilots' opinions. But there's I haven't looked at this in much, but uh, there's there's probably like a whole bunch of articles. But I think they're actual uh, certificates are fairly well documented. No, it's just like because obviously fr- flying like a, a jet and a Cessna as a yeah different. Well, you know the thing mean? is with with jets, like most of the complication is in taking off and landing. When you're in the air, uh, essentially you can just turn the turn the um, the the stick or the the yoke. Uh, left or right, and you will move left or right. It's not that different. It's just much more uh, cumbersome because uh, it's you know takes longer to respond. Uh, but the the essentials of flying a plane in the air by sight are pretty much the same with a big plane and a small plane. You speed up uh, to go up. You slow down to go down. You tilt the plane to turn left and right, and you can pretty much do it all with those uh, those two things really. Okay. And then uh, what was, like, your theory behind why none of the planes were shot down? I mean, the Shanksville, I, I don't know whether they came out and said the Shanksville one did get shot down. Yeah, no, I think I think they kind of messed up, really. They weren't prepared for something like this, and uh, they sent the fighter jets in the wrong direction because there was this miscommunication. They tried to intercept, but they didn't actually intercept any of the planes in time. The planes okay. were very low off the radar for a lot of the time. So it's just case, basically... Uh, yeah, they were slow to respond, and they made some mistakes. Fair enough. Yeah, it's because uh, I watched this. Um, obviously, the documentary Nine Eleven: The New Pearl Harbor, or whatever, by like Massimo, yeah. whatever. And obviously, if you haven't seen it, it's quite long, but uh, definitely worth a watch. And maybe a lot, a lot of I've looked a bit. Yeah, a lot of conspiracy theorists are kind of going into there now. So obviously, I'm just saying if if there's points you want to look at uh, that conspiracy theorists are going to try and use or throw up or whatever or start to believe in there's a documentary yeah, maybe you can find the points from people actually have mentioned that a few times to me before and i haven't sat through the whole thing i think it's four hours long but yeah. i have kind of just dived in and looked at things and it did seem to be re- repeating a lot of the stuff that had been debunked years ago like it probably mentions the whole thing with the uh the pilots training not being very good Mm. which was explained like 10 years ago. So it's, you know, it's it's kind of frustrating to see things coming yeah. up again and again that have been explained. interested in talking about, you know, the new stuff, like, you know, what Tony's talking about with the uh, the study at the University of Alaska with Leroy Halsey. Mm. Uh, that's kind of interesting because, you know, something, some new information might actually come out of it. But, you know, at this stage, I think, you know, 9-11 truth is largely just... Uh, uh, recycling a lot of things that were explained a really long time ago. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, it must get uh, fucking annoying for you to keep going over and over the same stuff. So I'm sure debating Tony sometimes uh, refreshing. Do you know what I mean? Because he offers new, yeah. new elements. The, uh, yeah. the web webcams died, by the way. Everyone's got know. different opinions as well. You know, there's, there are people who, with yeah, something like eighty percent of nine eleven truthers don't think a plane hit the Pentagon. Mm. Uh, it's it's quite you know surprising really when you look into it. And uh, there are differences of opinion within nine eleven truth. This is something we didn't get to discuss with Tony, but yeah, you know, he says that the none of the exterior columns would need to be uh, destroyed or blown up. 
for the collapse that we see, but he thinks that the interior columns must have been destroyed. But a lot of other people uh, say that if there's any resistance, then you wouldn't see freefall. So if you've got these exterior columns still there, you wouldn't see freefall. You might have seen Richard Gage's uh, demonstration that he does with you know, two cardboard boxes. Mm. Uh, and you know he's basically the cardboard box is only exterior columns and so he's he's saying that if there's some resistance then it couldn't have happened so you know i think on that aspect there's some disagreement i mean tony should correct me if i'm wrong and we shouldn't get into it because he's not really here but you know he he actually said that you don't need to destroy the exterior columns yes um you know loads of information for me to even dissect i'm just trying to get my head around it <laughs> yeah especially when and a Tony's lot of it is, talking, it is overly like, oh. technical yeah but no it was um it was a pleasure hosting you both and uh hopefully you know yeah, we can we can reconvene it. and do it again um let's give it a go and kind of see what we go from there but yeah massively appreciate your time dude and have a nice day in that all right all right yeah thanks a lot you have a good day yeah bye. look after yourself mate bye all right